time with me. And I've enjoyed that, and I'm, I'm hoping that you're enjoying it. Um, we are taking a, a big shift um, from going out of um, the, the message to the churches in chapter 3 into chapter 4, and it is, it is like an awesome, awesome part. Um, I will say when I started this study in Revelation, and I don't have no idea how long we're going to be here, just so you know. I really don't. Um, I didn't think we'd be that long in the seven churches. I don't know that um, we'll probably spend as deep as we go, because I don't think there was probably anything as, as important as the letters that Jesus wrote to us, the church. So that was something I started seeing early on. Like, do, don't just skim over that. <laughs> These are my letters to you. These are pretty important. Now, this is super important so we understand, really, his plan. And he's been saying the same thing for since the beginning. And I hope I can help you understand that and walk through that today. Um, there's, there's going to be, if this is, was a tree, there's many branches we're going to be on today and in the next few weeks. Um, and I've just been praying, Lord, help me get what's in here and in here that you've put in there out to you in a way that you are going to pick up on it. Amen. I will say there's lots of different thoughts on eschatology, which is the study of the end things or the study of the last things. Um, <clears throat> I'm okay with a lot of different thoughts on, ex unless they're very obviously contrary to the whole of context of scripture. Amen. Um, I disagree very strongly with um, um, all millennialism that there is no, the millennium has already happened, that that's very interesting. Um, I, I'm not, I don't see lions and lambs laying down together yet. We're not in a Jerusalem, there's not a, Jesus isn't reigning, ruling from Jerusalem, <clears throat> which was prophesied, by the way, to Mary. And that hasn't happened yet. Well, he, is he the king? Yes, he's, but he's not sitting on David's throne. He's sitting on his father's throne right now, that's what scripture says. He will, he will rule from the throne of David in the millennium. Okay, so that hasn't happened yet. So we're going to walk through some um, order. And aren't you glad? Now, oh yeah, if you don't agree with some of the things where I believe this transition for the church shows us in my interpretation of scripture, I can still call you brother. Okay, we can agree on it. 99% of other things. But I'm going to show you some different views and how we get there. Is that going to be okay? Um, there is different thoughts on that, and, and we will walk through some of those. We're not going to walk through many of them today. I'm going to give you some lenses that I see, how I interpret Scripture, and that you can agree with or disagree with. There's different even thoughts on that. Hermeneutics, there's a study of, of how you interpret Scripture, and there's different thoughts on that. Um, I'm going to share mine. doesn't mean that I'm right on all that, and I... Don't necessarily every single part of what I think is. There is some things I take of covenant theology. There's some things I take of dispensationalism that I think is accurate. Doesn't mean every single thing. How many know we can be mature enough to go, I can chew on something and spit out something too. This, I don't spit out none. I interpret scripture by scripture. Amen. You hear me saying, I've been saying for a long time, content, context, culture. Amen? So I'm going to help you walk through that. Um, I believe, as we get to chapter 4, this is a very divine outline. 
um, that we're going to look at in going back to chapter one, how I believe the Lord tells John how to interpret the whole book as an introduction. Fair enough. But Revelation chapter four, verse one says this word in the Greek, it's metatata means after these things. Metatata after these things. Chapter four, verse one, after these things. I looked and beheld a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet. If you have your Bibles open, I would circle after these things. Circle door standing open in heaven. Circle trumpet. Like the sound of a trumpet. Speaking with me, come up here and I will show you what must take place Metatata, after these things. I want you to see something, just a couple things very quickly. He says, Metatata, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now, you're going to see a lot of things in chapter 4 and 5 that Jesus has already shared with the churches. So he's giving you insight into what's to come. So there's a door standing open. We just went through the message to Philadelphia some weeks back, and in, in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, And I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut. Philadelphia was the church that did have, had absolutely no condemning word. Only good word. Like, A plus on your report card, Philadelphia. I've put before you an open door. I find that interesting. Meditata, after these things. What is, he, what is John saying? After what things? Well, we're going to look at that here in a minute. After, what did we just study? What was the letters written to? The church. What was the last sentence before he says meditata? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. After these things, what's he talking about? I would say after the church age. And we're going to look at that. What's after the church age? Everything after church age is prophetic. Our God is so amazing, he tells us history before it happens. That's, big, that's my definition of prophecy. Declaring history before it happens. He's been doing that for a long time. And every single time he did it and said it, he actually meant what he said. We didn't have to wonder. He said, I'm going to cause my son to be born of a virgin. Very specific, all what's going to happen throughout his life. He would be pierced, he would be wounded. Very, very specific. And every single one of those prophecies, the people at the time had no idea, like, what are you talking about? But exactly as he said, it happened. And I'm just foolish enough to believe that our God, when there's prophecy, he still means what he says. Because I don't find any prophecy through Old Testament or speaking into the New Testament where it didn't happen like he said, and it wasn't exactly how he said it would, even though we didn't understand it or they didn't understand it. I'm pretty sure we can follow that pattern that he means what he says and he says what he means. Amen? I'm glad you agree. Now turn with me back to Roman, or I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, I believe. Yes, here's what I call the divine outline. Now, you, you're going to want to take notes, okay, for the following few weeks. If you haven't to this point, shame on you. 
take notes. I challenge you, and I hope, my whole point is that you will go be good Bereans and study. I'm going to give you lots of different things that you could spend a lot of time in studying, like I have. And I will promise you, you will not be disappointed in your God. So take notes. You might not go study it all right now as I'm talking, but go back and look it up. Don't take my word for it. I'm praying that I challenge you to study to show yourself approved, a workman who rightly divides the word of truth. Amen? So, I believe, as we see in verse 19, in the first chapter of Revelation, we see a divine outline. Listen to what, listen to what um, Jesus tells John. If you have your Bibles, you're going to want to circle some things. Jesus tells John, write, therefore, these things which are, circle that, which are, and the things which shall take place, circle shall take place, and the things, or I'm sorry, the, the, which you have seen, I skipped one, that's the first one, you have seen, write the things which you have seen, circle, which are, circle, which shall take place after these things. That's that metatata word. So, what do we see here? Here's an outline that Jesus is giving us, and he's telling John, this is how I want you to write this book. Write these things. Write, write, write the things you've seen, John. Well, what has he seen to this point, up to verse 19? Write what you've seen. He's seen a vision of Jesus, of him standing in priestly garments, of hair that was like eyes like fire. Like he saw that. So he says, write, therefore, the things which you have seen. Next, he says, and these things which are. Now, I don't know about you, but I did. Well, I went to Calabrese High School, so it's a little sketchy. But have seen means what? Past tense. Have seen. So to that point, what you have seen, John Wright. Next, the things which are. That's present tense. What were the things which are when John's writing? The churches. The church age. Write the things which are. And so we know that John wrote the first chapter, laying out all those things. He wrote to the churches, which were the things which are. The seven churches. The present state. Chapters 2 and 3. The present state. The church age. The seven churches, which means all churches of all time. Amen? That number seven. There's a ton of sevens in the book of Revelation. I wonder why that is. Maybe he's wrapping things up. Things are coming to completion. He wants us to see that, right? So the things which are. Then the things which shall take place after these things. Aren't you glad he lays this out for us? Write the things you have seen. Past tense. Write the things which are. The churches, the seven churches, chapter 2 and 3. How do I know that? Because he says this beautiful word, metatata. Write the things after these things. Chapter 4 begins with what word? Metatata. After these things. And he says it twice so you don't miss it and that we don't miss it. He says the things that shall take place after these things. After what things? After the things which you have already seen and been shown, I think would be fair enough to say, right? 
After the things I've already, you've already seen and the things I've shown you, write this. Which follows after the church age. You follow me? Up until chapter 4, church age. Meditata. After these things. So there's a, a discrepancy. And he gives us a measuring stick to view and read the rest of the book. And I call it divine outline in the first chapter. You're going to see also, I believe in chapters 10 and 11, he's going to lay out, there's like an intermission in the book of Revelation. He's going to lay out the players. He's going to use some symbols. There's a woman. There's a dragon. And then he explains what they are. He's explaining right now, here's the outline. Here's the timeline. Here's the time frame. Amen? You follow me? Okay. So as we go and begin to interpret scripture and look at how God has done things and how we look at prophecy, I discover there's two thoughts of prophecy, of how to define prophecy, of how there's a Greek thought process of looking at prophecy, and it's basically this. It's a model. The model for the Greek is prediction, fulfillment. Prediction, fulfillment. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just doesn't paint all the strokes of the picture. Prediction, fulfillment. There's also a Jewish model. The Jewish model is pattern. There's a lot of things we don't see if we don't look at content, context, and what? Culture. There's a Jewish culture. Is Jesus Jewish? Is there importance to Israel? Is there importance to the Jewish person? Yes. So a Jewish perspective shows and is not in disagreement with prediction fulfillment, but there's also pattern. Okay? And I will show you an example. You're like, okay, well, what? what? Remember when we talked about early on in, in looking at rapture, um, Jesus shares a, 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 basically a story of the pattern, of a Jewish pattern of a betrothal in marriage. Remember? 14. John 14. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will take you to myself. So that where I am, there you will be also. That is a beautiful pattern. That if you are not Jewish and you don't study and I stumbled across this, not even studying eschatology some years back. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. My Holy Spirit alarms were going off. I'm like, he's saying a whole heck of a lot more there. He's talking about him coming for the church and for his bride. And that's what he was wanting to tell the disciples. And they totally understood it. They're like, oh, this is what you're talking about. Because they were Jewish and they understood the pattern. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. They're like, Oh, yeah, that's like what we did when we got married. Like, and the father, there was a dowry price to be paid for the bride. They understood that. Just like Jesus paid a price for us. He was a kinsman redeemer. Like, there's patterns all through the Bible. When you, when you read the book of um, Ruth, the kinsman redeemer, the book of Ruth is a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us, that he has redeemed us. There's patterns all through that if you don't understand and you only look from a Greek perspective, it's just prophecy fulfillment. No, there's pattern, and it is all through Scripture. Your God that is outside of time and existence and outside of this world is speaking pattern over and over and over all through the Bible. And once you understand that, you see 
He is amazing, and it's hard to mess this up. But if you don't see the pattern, you don't look through the lenses of how to, I'm believing, how to rightly interpret the word, you're going to be in confusion. And, and put, you ever tried to build a puzzle? There's like a thousand pieces, and some of them look like they fit into place. And then you get towards the end of the puzzle, you're like, there's something wrong. There's whoever, who made this puzzle? They made this thing wrong. And then you realize maybe, and if you're hard-headed like I am, it takes a long time to come to the conclusion that maybe I put a piece in the wrong part. And then you go and look and you go, oh, let me take that, oh. Ding, 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 ding. Right? I'm trying to help you today. Put pieces in the right place. Amen? And it's a beautiful, it is a beautiful journey. The more, you, church, we got to, you have nothing to fear out of the book of Revelation. Absolutely nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear in Christ. Nothing. It's revealing Christ. The hope of glory. It's our hope, our blessed hope. And it's not just like, well, I hope. It is solid. He is just like every other prophecy that has ever been given. It happened just like he said. And we don't have to wonder, well, I wonder what he means. Like, I should go take 20 other scriptures out of context and build a whole new theology. No, we take scripture for what it says. I take scripture, exactly what this verse says, that has the most prominent thing to what I'm going to believe about that verse. I'm not going to take five other verses that might speak something similarly and then change what that verse says. You following me? That happens a lot. The first passage is what is your strength and the first thing that you build off of. Now, if you, and anytime you have a question, here's a beautiful thing. Anytime there's beautiful confusion or a beautiful, you think, mistake or a beautiful problem, let's say that. There's a problem. Oh, it's a beautiful opportunity for you to have your mind blown and discover some amazing things about God. And as you read through your Gospels again, anytime, here's a little fun note, anytime you see the Pharisees get all fuzzed up about something, it is a beautiful opportunity that it's like God's laughing. He's like, thank you for getting all fuzzed up because there was a beautiful truth that had you not get fuzzed up and not made a big old stink about, everyone else would have missed. So thank you, Pharisees. Seriously. Your God is amazing. This is God-breathed. And we should fight and wrestle with it and devour it so we can understand it. Not go, oh, I don't know, that's just like a mysterious stuff and it'll all pan out. Well, yeah, it's all going to pan out because God's awesome. But he doesn't just like tell us stuff so we'll just scratch our head. He's like, come and play with me. Like, come and spend some time. And if we could just figure it all out, we'd be like, that's all right. He's challenging us to say, oh, man, if you knew how much I loved you, if you knew how big I am, you would not be freaked out. Amen? That was for free. So there's some lenses I want us to look at. There's some things I want to clear up. Here's the sad thing to me is um, the majority of the, is it hot in here? No. Praise the Lord. It's not. I'm hot. I want to change places. Everyone sit up here. 
supersession, or suppersession, if I'm, I don't know if I'm saying it right. This is a heresy. Okay? Some of you might be upset by that. I'm okay. And I still love you. You say, what is that? Replacement theology is what that is. There's the majority of the churches, the majority of evangelical church, the majority still believe and believe that the church replaces Israel and the Jews. When you have an outlook like that, you really screw things up, in my honest and humble opinion. <laughs> we don't replace Israel. We're not Israel. I'm not Jewish. But Jesus is and was and is the king of the Jews. He's also the, the bridegroom to the church. Separate, different. You following me? So any theology that has us as Israel is wrong. I'm not Israel. I'm not a Jew. And he makes very specific specifications. And that theology is anti-Semitic, really, if you get to the core of it. It's very interesting. They basically believe, well, all of the bad things, all of the curses for Israel being disobedient, yeah, those are all good, and they're still in effect, but not the blessing. How twisted. Well, they sinned and violated God, God's law, so all, that, all, the, all the other things he's taken away. Well, my Bible reads that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, we're, and so we're all perfect? Are you serious? No, we're not perfect. Yeah, but Steve, we're God's chosen people. They were first. We're a branch that's grafted in. Read your Bibles. God did not do away with Israel. God has not done away with the Jew. And if we get too haughty, he says, I will ungraft you. What's the root of the tree? It ain't Gentile. Jewish. Jesus. We're grafted in. A wild olive shoot. Praise God. We don't replace them. And I want to help you look through some lenses. Actually, I just let's look at some scripture first. Second service is going to be a train wreck probably because it ain't going to be like you guys. You guys, who knows? First, let's look at, let's go to Jeremiah 31. We'll be traveling. Beth, or... Um, Lisa, you might have it. Is, did you have those ones up there? Jeremiah 31. If not, it's okay. They got to learn to bring their Bible. Use your phone. You have permission to have your phones out. Jeremiah 31, 35 through 37. Now go back and read in context. Even more verses before and after would be good. But for time's sake, let's just look at this. It says, Thus says the Lord, who? The Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. Who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel, for all that they have done, declares the Lord. So when, when is Israel cast away? When is Israel put away and done with, and we just evolved, and Israel smashed into the church? 
Well, he's, here's where here's, God is so wise, he prophesied, told Jeremiah, here, I'm going to give you a bunch of good stuff, and by the way, I'm going to cap some more things so you'll know when it's got, my thought and I ain't going to be on Israel. What, when does that? It says, if this fixed order, well, first, the fixed order of the moon and the stars, if the sun doesn't give light by day, the fixed order of the moon and stars for light by night, if that stops, if the, the sea, the waves of the ocean quit roaring, that's when, I, that's, that's when Israel, my plan for Israel is going to stop. Is that clear enough? But wait, there's more. <laughs> Let's look at Romans chapter, well, Zechariah 8.23, then we'll go to New Testament. You say, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor. You're right. You know, there's this thing that God said. Aren't you funny? Isn't it funny that God says, he says over and over and over, and there's not time to list them all. But you will know that I'm telling you the truth right now. He says to Israel many times, I, will, I am making an everlasting covenant. I wonder what everlasting means. I wonder if he actually means what he says and says what he means. I'm making an everlasting covenant with Israel. So does that mean an everlasting covenant isn't still is valid? I'm going to go with yes, it's still valid because God said it's everlasting. Amen? Let's look at Zechariah chapter 8. Use your phone if you don't want to be looking for a while. <laughs> I'm just, it's just one verse, so if you don't want to go look there, just write it down and look it up later. Listen to what he says. Thus says the Lord, and this is speaking of the millennium. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from all where? All the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, let us go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. Wow. Ten men from other nations will grab onto one Jew and say, let us go with you because we have heard and we know that God is with you. Well, we're, that's us, Pastor Steve. No, no, it's not. I'm not a Jew. Let's look at Romans chapter 11. You're going to say, what does this have to do with our study in Revelation. You're going to see it has to do a lot. with. There's a difference between Israel and the church. Is what I want you to see. There's a difference between Israel and the church. God's not done with Israel. Romans chapter 11. Paul says... Verse 1, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. Hmm. That kind of jacks up replacement theology. He's re rejected his people because they sinned. Nope. It says, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people. What's that say? God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have torn down thine altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
In the same way, then, there, is, there has also come to be, at the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. So he's not done with Israel. He goes on to say that there is going to be Israelites or Jewish people that are saved. Some are going to be hardened for his purpose. And you're going to see, and he uses an example of Elijah saying, well, I'm the only one. And he says, there's 7,000 other prophets. You know something that God has got, and he's told us in Revelation, that he's got some Jewish people. They're called the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe that are set apart. He's not done with them. And as we go on to see that Daniel's prophecy and, and all throughout scripture, he's saying this seven-year period is for Israel. It's for Israel. We get in a lot of trouble when we try to take pieces of a puzzle and shove them into places where they don't belong. The church is not Israel. I'm going to show you as we go through in chapter 4 and chapter 5 where the church is. And where from that point forward, the church in the word ecclesia is not mentioned again. The church is no longer on earth after chapter 3. The church is no longer on earth after chapter 3. Hello? The church is no longer on earth until we come back with him. Chapter 19. That's a beautiful thing. And he has given us beautiful signs and things to tell us about our clothing, the different clothing that we are as raiment, as the different clothing, as the martyrs are in white robes. He uses all these different things so we don't get ourselves confused. And we don't put ourselves in places where we don't belong. Matthew 24. When you understand who was Jesus speaking to in Matthew 24, anyone know? Jewish people. You know how I know that? Well, disciples were Jewish. They were the one asking the questions. And he says, pray that your trip might not be during Sabbath. Who keeps the Sabbath? Jewish people. If when you're on your roof, don't stop and pick up a bunch of stuff out of your house. Keep on rolling. Who lives in the, on their roofs? Okay. So are you smelling what I'm stepping in? goes on through Romans chapter 11. The purpose of Israel's rejection. And he goes on, the duration. He says it's temporary. Verse 25 and 11 says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of the mystery. Anytime you see that word, Paul says the mystery, that's the church. It's pretty awesome. I believe anyways. I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And thus all Israel will be saved just as it is written. Hmm. The fullness of the Gentiles comes in. That is when there will be a change in this clock shift. Shift in the church age. Now things point back. The church age interrupts the law, which we're going to look at here shortly. He goes on in verse 3. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who can become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
kind of cool to right before that he goes on and he's talking about the, the Jewish people in, in Israel. And he says, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. We like to use that in the church about the gifts that he gives us. This is in context saying the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. He's talking about his people. I have called them my chosen people. That is irrevocable. You following me? I also believe the gifts that he gives us are irrevocable. You can be a knucklehead and still have a gift. Aren't you glad? You can be a knucklehead and God still has a plan for you. How many knows even when you were knuckleheads and disobedient, he used a bunch of those things to bring you back to what? A place of repentance. And that's what he's doing with Israel. We're going to see scripturally and biblically that time, that seven-year period, is a time of discipline. And isn't it funny that he's told us he disciplines those whom he loves and those whom he delights in. Why? To bring them to a place of, oh, and he's going to have, here's a fun little fact, two Jewish witnesses witnessing to the world who I believe, I know one for sure is Elijah. I believe the other one's Moses. Could be Enoch. But I believe it's Moses for these few reasons. The miracles that they do are very similar to what Elijah and Moses did. Also, Elijah represents the prophets. Moses represents the law. Who better to witness to Jewish people that you missed your Messiah than the one who represents the law and the one who represents the prophets? Amen? You know who don't need Moses and Elijah to witness to us that Jesus is the Messiah? The church. Why? We already know that. We've recognized that and we've received that. But he's not done with Israel and he's not done with the Jewish people. He's going to use this time period that was prophesied. Amazing. Prophesied thousands of years before it's going to happen. Just like he said. It's amazing. Your God is out of control awesome. So some things that I look at, I'm going I'm to paint a little picture of my thoughts on interpreting and looking through a lens um, of Scripture. I didn't even know this was a thing, dispensationalism. I didn't even know that. I'm not, I'm not your most educated, biblical, like went through all the regular classes that a lot of pastors do. I went through some. Other stuff, I study a lot and I read a lot, and I don't necessarily know all the terms, of, but I'm learning those. Um, but I know what I believe. That title of theology fits what I believe the closest. Mainly because I believe we interpret Scripture by Scripture. I don't believe that, and I believe whatever your main verse, if we're seeing verse 29 out of Romans 11, that's my main source of study to see what does he mean in these surrounding verses. I don't take other verses that are chapters and books away or thousands of years different and now force that view onto that verse. It can be harmony, but it doesn't change the meaning of that verse. You following me? Okay, that's my take. The major take of a dispensationalist is um, the two major differences in theology and thought on that is we know, as we know it today, brought us to a literal interpretation of Scripture. 
I interpret scriptural, scripture literally. That doesn't mean that God doesn't use types. Doesn't mean that he doesn't use shadows. Doesn't mean that he doesn't use patterns. But, but I have found, anytime I've had a question, usually, actually every single time I've ever found something that was, I was questioning, more literal was right. Not less, like, oh, I think it was a, a, an analogy. The more literal translation, the more literal you think, I have found when I have question is right. I believe that he says what he means and means what he says. When he says a thousand years, I don't think it's like, well, I don't know if it's, I believe it's a thousand years. Follow me? I believe when he said, she will concern, she, the virgin will conceive. That makes no sense. That's never happened. I understand that, but that's what he said. And every, all those prophecies at that point happened just like they said. So therefore, I'm going to believe that the ones I don't understand now, he means that. You follow me? That's my train of thought. I think we get in a lot of trouble when we start trying to question and think, what is God really trying to say? I think when you're not sure, you better go with the closest thing that he's saying. Okay? <laughs> Clear? So that's the most literal interpretation of Scripture, especially where it deals with prophecy. And a realization that there's a di distinct difference between Israel and the church in the end times. That is what a dispensationalist, for the most part, will believe. That there's a difference. And we're going to see, I'm going to show you, the main text and even the verses in the text that Jesus used to explain end time theology Daniel. But before we get there, I want to just very quickly, because you're going to wonder, what is dispensation? What is that? It, it very simply, well, is this. A dispensationalist will believe that God has dealt with humanity in different ways at different times. Okay? God has dealt with humanity at, in different ways at different times. You following me? Revealing to us his character and his plan for mankind. These different periods of time are called dispensations. For example, while salvation, here's one, salvation has always been by faith, has it not? Always been by faith. The way to salvation through much of the Old Testament was through Israel and required obedience to the law as well. Amen? Is that true? This is not the cause during the church age. While entering... Well, eternal security is promised to the church. It was not promised to Israel. Now, before you all go, Whoa! you said eternal security, Pastor Steve. Yes, I did. I believe salvation is eternal, and it is very secure. I don't have to keep doing sacrifices to keep my, my salvation secure. You follow me? That doesn't mean I can say, forget you. I want nothing to do with you. You're a quack, and I don't believe in you anymore, and I can't leave. You can do that. I've done it. But I don't have to, as, a, as I am saved and my trust is in Christ, I don't have to worry. My trust is in him as my savior. I'm not looking as anything else to be my salvation. I'm not having to keep making sacrifices every time I mess up. Oh, no, I better go kill another goat. You follow me? There's a difference. It was not promised to Israel. That eternal security was not promised to Israel. Neither was the Holy Spirit sealed within the Old Testament believers. Amen? The Holy Spirit would come on in the Old Testament 
and rest on prophets, kings, and priests. Would come on and lift. Prophets, kings, and priests. Joel prophesied in the last days, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters, male and female, will believe and prophesy and dream dreams. That's different than during the previous dispensation. Follow me? The Holy Spirit is sealed within believers in the New Testament. Not rest on, sealed in. Different. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 says this. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is the first installment of our inheritance. Woo! First installment. That means there's more inheritance to come. I wonder what that might be. In regard to the redemption of God's own possession. That's us. Our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession. To the praise of his glory. That's different than the previous age. Of the Holy Spirit resting on people and some. The only prophets, kings, and priests. So therefore, the way God dealt with Israel in the Old Testament. Took place during a different dispensation. Than his dealings with the church in the New Testament. That makes sense? The way God dealt with Israel in the Old Testament is different than the way God deals with the church in the New Testament. Now I'm going to lay out some, they believe seven different dispensations on if there's five, if there's four, if there's seven. I don't really care, to tell you the truth. It's not a big deal to me. I just, I just have always seen there's a difference between Israel and there's a difference between the church. We don't just smash into each other. We're grafted in. Jesus is the root source, but he's not, I don't see anywhere through scripture that he's ever done with Israel. And there's a millennium that's been promised all throughout scripture that God is restoring. There's going to be a new Jerusalem. wonder why he said Jerusalem. wonder why if that's going to be the source and the place that he rules from during the millennium. Well, that's just quinky dink. No. So the first dispensation is called innocence. It's in, and you can go into a lot of depth. I'm just going to give you just a very quick run through. Innocence between the creation and the fall of man in the garden. That was a different, different setup than how we are today. Fair enough? They walked with God. There was no sin. There was, and here's a kind of fun, cool fact. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. And if you read this Bible... You got, you're getting all this for free. How it starts in the beginning is how it ends. Think about it. How it was in the garden? No sin. It's even, there's no sin in the millennium, after the millennium, after eternity, after that part, and after Satan's finally dealt with for good, our, our eternity future is sinless. There, you won't have opportunity to sin again, ever. It's going to be perfect, like it was in the garden. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Fun free fact. The next one is conscience. You see, God dealt with people a little differently between the fall and the flood. Did he not? 
And you know what's funny? In every single one of these, man screws it up. Even the millennium. He's like, this is awesome. There's peace on earth. He's ruling and reigning. All everyone goes like, this is great. They're still going to screw it up. Every dispensation, man jacked up. Every single one of them. Which tells you, we suck. That's what it tells me. Sorry. Sorry to burst your bubbles. The next one after the flood was human government. And like I said, if you don't agree with these, I'm okay. Like, it's just, here's a layout. From, from Abraham, um, human government, from the flood to Abraham. After that was promise. God makes a promise with Abraham. They screwed that up. Did they wait for the promise? Nope. It's not happening quick enough. Here, sleep with my slave woman. Jack that promise up. Then you go from promise to law. From Moses to Jesus. Is that a different plan? Different. Here's laws. You're going to work through law now. Then you go to a dispensation of grace. That goes from Pentecost to the rapture of the church age. Now here's something I want you to see, and this is very important, so don't forget this. During the great dispensation of grace, it's important. Grace doesn't replace law. I'm going to show you some scriptures that are going to show you that. Grace doesn't replace law. It interrupts it. And I'm going to show you. We're going to look here in a minute. Of, well, I don't know if I have time to get to Daniel today. Probably not. Darn it. I don't want to chop that one up because it is awesome. But Daniel's 70th week. There's in between verse 24, 25, and 26, there's an interval. That's the church age. And then you're going to see 27 is what's called Daniel's 70th week. That is for Israel. Grace is interrupted. And I'll show you specifically in Daniel from time dates. And he lays it out from here to here, from here to here. Here's your weeks. And then there's a 70th week. There's seven years left, and it happens to be seven years, and he says about four different ways of three and a half years, of times, times, and half a time. Like, he says 1,240-something days. It's three and a half years. Broke up. Seven years broke up, just like Revelation says. So that, grace has interrupted that, and then there's the meditata. After these things, after that age of grace, after the church age, that starts Daniel's 70th week. Now, I want to look at Matthew chapter 5 for a minute, just to show you that Jesus says in his own, out of his own mouth what I'm saying, or what I believe. You can see it differently, and I'll be okay, I promise. I won't smack you or anything. But I do want you to study. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Now, no, I didn't find this in any book. This was something the Holy Spirit just dropped in my heart when I was wrestling with all these different things. I just remembered that Jesus said this. He said in verse 17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. 
For truly, I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? If, if, haven't you ever wondered, well, why would Jesus say that I am not done with the law? Not one dot or tittle, King James will say. Not one, and those are like the smallest little abbreviation will change until all is accomplished. That's in agreement, in alignment, that there's another seven years left. It's reserved for Israel. And I will show you, well, let's look at this verse. Jeremiah 30, 4 through 11. And I will give you a little, little, little glimpse of Daniel. He says, Daniel, this is for your people. Daniel chapter 9, he says, this is for your people, Daniel. I wonder what he means there. Who's Daniel's people? There you go. So I'm not just going to take one cherry-picked part, which we're going to, we'll study Daniel, because there's a lot to study. Fun fact, okay? Now I'm giving you some insight here. Some of you, Danny's probably knows this. I would probably guess Lila Howard. There's a handful of pretty, pretty educated people in here. Um, what part of the Old Testament is not written in Hebrew? Daniel's a pretty good guess, right? I kind of gave you a pretty good lead up to that. There's, from chapter 2 to chapter 7 in the book of Daniel, is written in Aramaic. And it deals with history. The prophetic is written in Hebrew. I wonder if God's wanting us to see something there. This is for these guys. This is for you. You think? Of all the different places in the Old Testament, the only place in the Old Testament for, for, from, two to chapter, from 2 to 7 is written in Aramaic, not in Hebrew. Hmm. You think God might be up to something? I'm pretty sure he is. So Jeremiah chapter 30, and we're going to close. I think we're going to run out of time here. You guys follow me so far? taking good notes it will it will keep getting better but i haven't to lay a foundation so we can if i'm speaking a language you're understanding what i'm speaking follow me we got to like put the code out so you can see there's a pattern that's what i'm hoping to establish today really i want you to understand that there's a difference between israel and the church and as we go through the book of revelation you're going to see it over and over and over and over again believe me so Jeremiah 30, verse 4 through 11. Actually, let's go from 3, my bad. Listen to what Jeremiah prophesies. He says, For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah. The Lord says, I will also bring them back to the land that I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. Put in your Bible, write 1948. 1948. That happened. That prophecy was fulfilled. It goes on and says, Now, these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning who? Israel. Circle that. 
For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see. If a male can give birth, why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? Tell me God don't have a sense of humor. Why have all the faces turned pale? Alas, for the day is great. Pay attention to that. Jesus says the day is great tribulation. He uses that same great. For the day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of, circle this, Jacob's distress. Is the time of what? Good answer. You know who's not Jacob? I'm not. I'm not Jacob. I'm not going to put myself in Jacob's shoes because I'm not a Jew. I'm not from Israel. He says concerning. The Lord spoke concerning Israel, concerning Judah. Alas, for the day is great. There's none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress. But he will be saved from it. And it shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their neck and I will tear off their bonds and strangers shall no longer make them their slaves. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king whom I will raise up for them. wonder who he's speaking of. And fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord. And do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be quiet and at ease, and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will not destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only I will not destroy you completely. But I will chasten you justly. What's that mean? I will discipline you. That seven-year period of Jacob's distress, which is Daniel's 70th week, that he says, Daniel, this is for your people, is to bring them back. It's a merciful thing. You see, this is God is angry. Yes, he's pouring out wrath. They missed the day. They missed their Messiah. But in his grace and in his goodness, he's bringing them to a place to restore them. Amen. Now, I'm going to give you a funny little side note here. Well, let's finish it, and then I'll share a verse the Lord put on my heart this morning. He says, I will not destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only will not destroy you completely, but I will chasten you justly and will by no means leave you unpunished. Who's he speaking to? Israel. Jacob's distress. Now, I woke up this morning, and this verse was on my mind. And, the, and I didn't, man, I did not sleep last night. We went out to dinner. I had stupid, two amazing cups of coffee after dinner. <laughs> French press style. And you could smell it. I was like, oh, that is glorious. I used raw sugar and whole cream. Well, I had a lot of things in my mind last night. I did not sleep. It was rough, let me tell you. 
But as I woke up, and that alarm went off, and I was like, six is way too early. This is, the, this is the, the verses that the Lord had in my heart. Isaiah 53. This is such a beautiful, he says, for I was wounded for your transgressions. I was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement for my peace was placed upon you. And by your stripes, we are healed. That is such a, I've never looked at that verse thinking prophetically at all or eschatologically or anything like that. I've always looked at it just, this is Jesus just saying like, I'm wounded for you. I was, I was beaten and bruised for your sin, which is absolutely 100% true. But it tells me a whole bigger picture. I was wounded for your transgressions. I was bruised for your iniquities. This punishment and this discipline that is reserved for Israel is because they did not accept and receive Jesus as their Messiah. And I'm going to beautifully show you next week in the book of Daniel, he made it plain as day and gave them a time period by date. And Jesus said when he was coming into Israel and they were proclaiming the Messiah, they, they began to worship him. Hosanna. And then he says, not too far after that, oh, Jerusalem, you missed the day. I believe 100% he was speaking of they missed Daniel's prophecy. Because history tells us the date. I'm going to show you in Daniel's 70th week from the measurement of time. Now, I don't know when Jesus is coming back. Anyone that says they got the date down, I don't believe them. But the first, the first time he came, he gave them the time period. Be watching, and they missed it. And they rejected him. And in his grace, he is going to bring all kinds of circumstances so that they will turn to him. But that is not for us. That doesn't mean we're better than Israel. We're not better than the Israel. We, we are not and don't, I don't believe by any place we put ourselves in, in, in Israel's shoes. And there's blessings that are going to come to Israel. There's land that the area that God originally said, this is your area, is going to be restored fully. Not what a little bit it is today. Because God has made everlasting promises to his people. And anything you, in any way, shape, or form, your theology goes against that, I'm going to say I believe you have a right, wrong doctrine. You need to study some more things out. Fair enough. So my main thing I want you to see is God loves you. You are so special. We, we are so radical. We have Christ in us. The hope of glory. We've been sealed by his spirit, empowered like no other people on the planet to this point. And yes, does he love us? Yes, we are his bride. We are his bride. But as we go through and we see the picture that that. Jesus is painting through Revelation. The bride and the mom are not the same. How many, how many sons know that? Your mom is diff separate and different than your wife. Amen? I'm just going to plug that for future. <laughs> there's a pattern. I want you, there's a pattern that God says, and there's pattern is interwined all through Scripture. And once you're able to see through the lens, it's like putting on night vision, Oh, I can see it. 
And I hope we're going through this journey. You will be more excited and more secure and more hungry than you've ever been than to be on the planet at this time and to be excited that look up your redemption draweth nigh and you should not be afraid by that you should be challenged and motivated to witness to as many people as you can and tell them hey there's hope his name is jesus you don't have to go through that seven years you don't have to now listen the different ages and the different dispensations, even when it was under law. And even before that, it was always grace. God always gave, even non-Jewish people, the ability to be saved. Is that true? What did they have to do? Follow the law. Say, I believe, and I'm going to follow that law. So this doesn't exclude Israel or Jewish people out of the church age. What do they have to do? Say, Jesus is my Messiah. I'm putting my faith and my hope and my trust in what he's done. And I acknowledge that he's Messiah, just like we do. So it's not church against Jew or Jew or Israel against church. It's God did different things at different times with different people. I see that pattern. Amen? You follow me? And there's going to be a seven-year period called Daniel's 70th week that is the church age is going to be over and there's going to be seven more years of law. Interesting. For who? Now, will other people be able to be saved? Yes. Just like in all the other times. And we'll see, we will be able to go through and see, these are them, this is Israel, these are tribulation saints, here's the church, and you'll be able to see God knows what he's doing. Amen? Amen. Well, we didn't get to point two, which is the divine transition. You could talk to Pastor Denise about that. Let me read Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, one more time. I just love it. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? I told you to circle that. Wonder where that comes from. Well, that's in the Thessalonians, the book that Paul told the church about the rapture of the church. And he said that he would speak and you would hear the sound of a trumpet. Wow, he's saying the same thing. The sound of a trumpet speaking with me. He said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things, metatata. Another metatata, just for fun, is chapter 19 after tribulation after these things millennium you see there's some definition of time there's a 
chronology that he wants us to see. And he wants to give us an outline so we can make sure we're putting things in the right place. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you that you deal with man. And you are giving us, you give us so many crumbs, clues, patterns.